0: Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All
1: right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast mwr.com is our website. Jeremy here, hanging out with Matt after another weekend of football. Which, well, Matt, we got some big news. Where are we starting first? We have games, new coaches, games canceled. What are we going with here?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I guess maybe it makes the most sense to talk about the game that didn't happen. You know, we can knock that out real quick because we don't have to go through a full analysis of anything. Um, as you may recall from our banter from the preview <laughs> podcast uh, a few days ago, uh, Army and Air Force did ultimately get canceled, um, pretty much as we were recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the biggest I think talking point about that game were were uh, Jeff Munkin's comments, the Air the Army head coach. Which, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, I think. Um, our, our guy Sean O'Toole, our Air Force writer, wrote a really compelling column about it. Um, basically pointing out that Munkin, and I think a lot of other people, have kind of the wrong perspective about this whole thing. It's not about toughness. It's about trying to keep people healthy. <laughs> I really don't know what else there is to say about that or why that's so controversial. I mean, I know that it's like a... Yeah, you know, like Munkin, this is this isn't this isn't the first time he's like tried to tweak Troy Calhoun and the rest of the Falcons. You know, it's, he seems to have a have a knack for getting under their skin, but something like this just kind of from from an from an objective point of view really just kinda of rubbed me the wrong way.
1: It did because he made it seem like Air Force is ducking army or yeah, Air Force is ducking army. I'm like read those comments basically saying probably COVID, but they were injured as well. It's like Okay, I didn't. To be clear, I didn't hear the comments, but I saw the exact transcript. And you know it's interesting? Um, a lot of flat came out afterwards toward Air Force and toward us, like, "Well, it's the it's COVID. Come on, what are you gonna do?" There was no issue about because we even had a guy who follows on Twitter. I, whenever I mute them, whatever they, you know, I got tired of people, so I started hitting the mute button. Also, a quick Twitter tip, folks: if you want to really get somebody so they get they can't follow you, don't use the block button, Matt, because they know you block them if you block them. So what mm-hmm. you do really quick, you hit the, you make sure you're not following them, obviously, because sometimes you follow them. It happens. You block, and then you mute them because it blocks automatically unfollows you them from you. It's a pro tip. So they may never know they're muted. Like, oh, I'm following them. But then you do the quick block because it automatically unfollows that person because that's the case. Then you hit mute button so you don't have to see them and they don't. So I do that. I do that a couple of times. So we got DM from one guy's like, hey, yeah, I got some calls. going to happen. Like, there's all cordial. Like, oh, here's what's going on. Because we were figuring out on the fly. But once Coach and said those comments, poosh, Air Force is a bunch of crybabies not going to go for it. What if this is really war? What is about this? They, they're trying to duck army. It's like, why are you following the lead of a coach who clearly is not being respectful and doesn't know the situation? And this is what I say a million times about not just what's going on with COVID-19, but a lot of different things. College coaches have no inter, interpersonal skills toward the outside world. They only focused on one thing, one thing only, and college football and their staff. And so when they try to come up with, n- not all, but there's a lot that like I really think they're, not that they're dumb, but they don't have any people skills. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the scientist or the awkwardly social person You know, everybody knows and has, and you can be yourselves like I could be at times as well, where they don't get what's going on. And that's what a lot of college coaches are for the most part. Look at with the voting thing the other day, when it was that election day. Like, all these coaches were getting the, getting all uppity because we can't practice today? Well, it's like, you've known for four, two months you can't practice this day. What's the big deal? But, like, them coming after the fans, like, who follow Army, former Army cadets, whether they played football or there's part of the Army arm branches, they're coming after, like, well, no, they, they need to go play. Why are they ducking Army? Why are they not doing this? It's just this. What if, this, what if it's war? It's just a game. And Munkin's also, like, well, we'll come out and play in a practice field. We'll go in the gravel pit. They have... 200 guys in the roster, exaggerating, of course, but they do have big rosters. They can find people to play, but it's like, that's not the point. The Air Force 80 basically said they're shutting down campus.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, West Point is also dealing with an outbreak right now. They already it. sequestered the football team to try and shelter them. Um, no, Matt, actually, no. Matt, they can actually, go to no, a field and play say, in the I dirt. Think I know what you're going to say. They can
1: play wherever they want in the dirt. Be us in Omaha, Nebraska, or Chicago, Illinois, middle of the country to play on that backdoor field that's uh, full of gla- glass and gravel to be tough in. You'll play dirt, no, football barefoot. <laughs> though, uh, because I
0: found an article from Ken McMillan of the Middletown Times-Herald Records. I want to make sure that, that I give him credit for this because apparently Munkin revealed on Friday that some of his own team – have been isolated with the virus. Other people are quarantining because of contact tracing, which is the exact same thing that is going on at the Air Force Academy right now. And, you know, he had the quote where he yelled, oh, we have, when you get 200 guys on your team. You got enough guys to play with. Um, Macmillan was the one who pointed out that right now Air Force has 72 active players and Army has 163. That is hmm. more than twice as many. Interesting. <laughs> and, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's like it's do you remember the whole kerfuffle about a month ago about Gary Anderson yes. with, the whole, with the whole, we're not going to opt out kind of thing uh, we'll get we'll to talk that about that a little <laughs> bit later again, but this just strikes me as like the soft version of that. Like he didn't come out and say there's no opt outs, but it's that similar kind of hard headed, tough guy attitude that that's like, you know, when you're dealing with a pandemic, it's just not going to work. It doesn't come across well. No, it's like, I get they don't like each other. It's a, it's a, it's a huge rivalry,
1: clearly not on the level the na- army Navy, but I get like our buddy Raj, he served in army, didn't go to the academy there, but he's like, I hopefully I'm correct in saying this. He basically says he doesn't, um, he respects what they're doing because like, he did a similar thing, but basically says West Point's a different place. It's not like him or your average Joe signed up at the local high school or right up going to the army, like straight to not going to the university. He's mm-hmm. like, those are two different type of people. Their goal possibly likely is fairly similar. Hey, let's go help the country. You can get school paid for if you sign up for the Army. You'll go to school a few years later, then not directly at like 18, 19. You'll go maybe when you're 22, 25 or whatever it may be to get education by serving in the Army, which is awesome and great if you do it. I appreciate it. We all do. But he said it's like a completely different mindset and place during those years when you're at the actual college. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm not going to be disrespectful, but he's just like, it's just a different place. But it's, it's you're right. It's like, well, are they ducking us for injuries? And your point on our Twitter account is like, well, dude, you're playing. You had to adjust your schedule. I get it. But you play who you play, and don't tell me the Army's just juggernaut when you, you're right when they played three FCS teams and can't hang with Cincinnati at all. It's like, come on, give me a break.
0: Well, it, it's just the thing. It's it's a public health issue.
1: Yeah, it's bigger. It's not an injury. It's not being hurt. It's not that. It's a public health crisis. Like here today, we're recording right now. A little bit later, it's nine twenty nine Mountain Time. I got a basically, it's like an Amber alert for your phone and went off. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, what the heck's going on? We've had like three of these past week, unfortunate stuff throughout the state. I'm like, what now? Another unfortunate, another kid? No, the governor's actually finally freaking doing something here in the state because our numbers have gone up so high to basically we're freaking out at six. Okay, our state population is different, but six, 700 for the state, 800. We've been up above 2,000 the past couple of days, nearly 3,000 today as of Sunday night. They're finally doing something to like, I'm not entirely what it is because I'm recording right now. I'll get, I'll get that info later. But they mentioned briefly, like, mask mandate, most likely limiting crowds. University of Utah football versus Arizona got canceled because of the the school didn't have enough people to play. Essentially, scholarship players was what they'd given out. So it's like, Army, Coach, Jeff Monk, read the room. Come on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I put out a tweet or, or rather a, week, a retreat from NBC News because – yeah. I think it was on Saturday morning or Friday night or something like that, where they had a list of the states that had been recently setting like you know new highs as far as you know daily cases. It's at least
1: ten states, right? At least.
0: Well, it there was um, with a rough count, I would say there was like fifteen different bullet points, but what really caught my attention, which is both relevant to this and to a lot of other Mountain West locales, is. I think the only Mountain West states that weren't on this list were Hawaii and California. Colorado's oh. on it, Idaho's on it, New Mexico, Nevada's Utah. on it, New Mexico's on it, Utah's on it, Wyoming's
1: on it. You notice know, have in common Hawaii and California taking this very seriously. New Mexico is as well, but their numbers just happen to be up there. I don't want to disagree yeah, c- So like, in,
0: but... so everybody's still wrestling with it, and there's a chance that you know, in you know, the broader sense, the communal sense it's going to get worse in a lot of these places before it gets better, unless people can turn it around, be disciplined. You know, I made the joke on Twitter that, you know, we want our listeners, our readers, our followers on Twitter to play defense like Rocky Long. But, and, and it's a joke, but it's also like, that's still the truth. That's our reality for the time being. And it seems like that's something that Munkin doesn't get. That like when when something is out of your control, you have to do what is necessary in order to get it back under control. I would think that a head coach at a military academy would understand that, but apparently not.
1: Well, it also comes from above when there's nobody in charge taking the responsibility or one cohesive um, arrangement of what to do. Yeah, That's a problem, too. It's like it, it's not just if it's president or anything, but like even every state like here, like we don't want to hype, hype on this much. We want to get the football more fun. But this is pretty serious stuff. So if you don't care, fast forward probably five minutes, we'll get the football
0: talk. Maybe well, and here's here's the other thing, too. Is like, you know, we haven't even mentioned it yet, but they've already canceled Air Force's game for next Saturday Versus at Wyoming. Because Wyoming. we discussed last
1: week that possibility because we are thinking maybe because it's a Saturday game it's safe, but not the case. Like, one real quick I want to bring up. Okay, I'm getting – I'm on Twitter, so a bunch of stuff from the Utah Press Conference right now for our state, which could affect Utah State as mm-hmm. well. So I'll bring it up now. So this makes – okay, this – I love football so much. I love watching it. I love talking about it. We write about it. For what we get in return for doing this, it's not worth for how much time we spend out it for going forward and doing stuff, right? We do mm-hmm. it mostly for fun, essentially. Yes. You get a few bucks here, and like we say, it's like guacamole money we get for us and everybody here. So a tweet right now from Buddy who works at a radio station, sports station in town near me. He's kind of tweeting it out. So in Utah, no gathering with anyone in your social setting outside of your immediate family for the next two weeks. So basically, it's a hard lockdown. Mm-hmm. All, however... Here's why I, I this annoys me, and I'm like, and I just got done this weekend. Like, I've loosened up a little bit. I went water pool, and there's a really big trip this last weekend here in town. Teams from out of state came in, so but we had rapid testing day before. If you're out of state, provide a test before so you can even travel here. So they're pretty safe. They don't let many people in, like maybe 20 people or one person per kid who's playing. So the and the pools are spread out. So we we've been pretty safe. Even that's like I probably should not have been doing it, but it's what I do get a few bucks. So I was doing that. So I probably got lucky doing it the past weekend because it ended yesterday on Saturday. But no gathering in your social setting. However, all extracurricular, all extracurricular schools, this is pre- specifically high school, activities, um, oh no, maybe, oh, I made a mistake. I read this wrong. I am actually happy. I, Matt, I, I, I was talking before I read the tweet. Unless it's championship football, which I still get iffy because the playoffs are here now, everything's on pause except for if you're in high school football championships because that's an intercollegiate Um. um and intercollegiate. So, most of it's canceled, so I'm glad that's the case. I misread. Sorry for rambling, but it, basically it says all extracurricular activities, Sands High School sports, championship football, and intercollegiate sports are paused for two weeks. So, I mean, Utah mm-hmm. State can continue to play high school championships. They're basically wrapping up, so I think there's like a couple games left. And there haven't been too many canceled, Utah. There's been a handful here and there, but. They're finally taking it serious here and hopefully that's the case it gets done. I'll have to get more info on it. I just wanted to, I saw that from a sports guy, figured he's gonna ask some updates, so Utah State is safe basically from being able to play. Team wise, obviously, as we know the percentage rate you gotta be at and who's healthy or mm-hmm. not like uh Air Force and again University of Utah here Utah wanted to watch them beat Arizona by four touchdowns, unable to do so because they could not play. So yeah. and, in
0: the, and the other thing, too, with regards to Air Force in particular, you know, not only are they dealing with COVID, but, you know, they're exploring avenues that under any other circumstances probably would not be able to happen to make up this game by looking at just doing the game for the Independence Bowl. Because, as we all know already, they everybody's accepted. eligible for postseason play. And Army accepted Anybody can accept a bowl, but Army's already accepted. And so they're talking about doing that as a possibility to allow... Them some time between the Army Navy game and the what would have been I think was the original kind of proposed makeup date of December nineteenth, mm-hmm. so it would give the Black Knights two weeks between their last game that rivalry game, and then two weeks later they play in their bowl game. They you know not only get the postseason bid but they get their shot at the Commander in Chief's Trophy. That's funny. and so. And so, in, in a lot of respects, it you know the bluster from Munkin and others seems like a lot of much ado about nothing, especially if that kind of thing gets locked in. But you know, like I said before, it's just you know I don't know that that attitude is just is the right way of approaching things. I don't think it is. It's
1: cavalier, irresponsible, and quite frankly, deadly. People are dying.
0: So this yeah. is not this
1: is not just some little. We
0: just passed ten million cases in America today. <sighs> I, we've it's, had record highs.
1: Real. But Matt, I was told in the election ended it's gonna go away. Why can't that just happen? <laughs> oh boy. Alright, um What about how does this impact Wyoming? Because we need to look at I need I do need to look at the new numbers because remember there's a percentage base for who's eligible for a championship game or not. Mm-hmm. Or at least for not just for any team. And so right now we have two Mountain West games that have been canceled, correct? CSU New Mexico mm-hmm. and now Air Force Wyoming, right? Yes. As for my count, Air Force is not not I don't think they'd make it this year because they've already lost one game to Boise State. But if I recall from original numbers, they had to play six games. I don't recall what the threshold was, but they're sitting at five games as of right now. My math could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure two games is not enough to lower the threshold to participate to make the uh, threshold five, minimum five five Mountain list, or. I don't think so. No. I don't think it's slow enough. The, I'd have to go back and look at the details. Basically, I'm saying, even if Air Force wins out, I don't think they're going to be – and every, else, every other game gets played. They're not eligible for a championship game right now. We'll see how it goes because the league's good and weird, and we'll talk about the amazing victories by San Jose State. and Nevada keep winning. But at this moment with only five league games, they're not eligible, but we'll keep track of those numbers throughout this week. That's something we can do for an article just to get people updated. But uh, should mm-hmm. we actually get to games, I guess, and I'll talk some fun stuff? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so well, maybe not fun. Are we talking? Well, what's the first game of the day? I, I Thursday
0: night. Thursday night, Nevada thirty-four, Utah State nine. That seems like five months ago. <laughs> um, did you Re- ne- remember when the Aggies had a nine?
1: I was going to say there. I know. I, I I bust out the Wyoming safety dance gif. I'm like something's happening. Jalen Warren playing. I'm like, yes, Aggies have a shot. Their first drive looked great. Scored that touchdown early on. Defense was showing up versus. Uh, I don't think um, I don't know, my box score in front of me, but when did Nevada score their first points? Late first quarter?
0: Uh, yeah, something like that.
1: But like they were Utah State was showing up, and then Carson Strong, Romeo Toa Tala, Utah
0: State. I like State. to think of it as like a like the that first half of the first quarter. I like to think of it as a throat clearing. Of sorts.
1: <laughs> like excuse me, fellas, let me uh, let me tie my shoe here really quick or something like that. Yeah, crack? something like that. <laughs> oh man, my, I have the wrong foot, wrong shoe on the wrong foot, but. Okay, going to ask this question before we dive into the game. Where did you rank Utah State in our power pool? How have you filled it out this week yet?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure I have them dead last, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Same. This is also. Do we need to bury the lead? Gary Anderson fired essentially. Or we'll should...
0: talk. We'll talk about that after the game. <laughs> we'll let's let's talk about the game first because, <laughs> you, it, to me, you you saw that glimpse of how Utah State was able to get ahead. You know, they did it by, you know, controlling the clock. They did it by, you know, leaning really heavily on the run game. But... What we said. It's been, yeah, but even then, in that first quarter, a lot of their running production came off of, like, one or two big, you know, scrambles from Jason Shelley. You know, he had four carries, 41 yards in that first quarter. But between Jalen Warren and Devontae Henry Cole, four carries, 17 yards, which is, you know, it's it's okay, but, you know, to me, I think the bigger warning sign was the fact that they they had, you know, 7 of 10 completions, but only for 33 yards. So, you know, one thing that we I think we kind of harped on in the preview that really ultimately came back to bite him in this game is the fact that they still weren't able to create any big plays ever. And when you compare that with what Nevada was able to do, you know, right off the bat, their first touchdown is a long strike from Carson Strong to Romeo Dobbs, Pretty and cool. then and then they liked it so much they did it two more times. Yeah. So it's just, it was just one of those things where you know you could see Nevada you know struggling to get going a little bit, and they did put a little bit of pressure on Carson Strong to to rush his throws a little bit in that first quarter. But you know, once the Nevada offensive line was able to get things under control you know, once they were able to give him time to, you know, make his decisions and and to be able to throw the ball deep, you know, to set up those deep routes, mm-hmm. Utah State just didn't really have an answer for that. And, yeah, a lot of that came down to daubs, you know, seven catches, 137 yards, and three touchdowns. But, you know, uh, guys that we've seen before, as well as, you know, new faces, um, you know, had big plays like Cole Turner, four catches, 66 yards, Toa Tawa, yeah. who, Woo-hoo. you know, Big, big game for him, both on the ground and through the air. You know, he had seven catches, 45 yards, and he ran for over 100 yards and a score. So, you know, they were just able to ultimately get around to doing what they wanted to do, which was to assert themselves through the air. Carson Strong threw it 52 times, threw for another 411 yards. And, you know, even though Utah State did end up with four sacks and, and 10 tackles for a loss on the game, I think a lot of that just came when the game was already well out of reach. And they just they were never able to get back into it because they couldn't create any big plays. That's the thing, like, our buddy Logan and Sam in our DMs on during the games when we chat a bunch.
1: Like, okay, this is the third straight game Utah State starting quarterback Jason Shelley had under 100 yards. Like, mm-hmm. I even joke to have King, like, what non option team has this type of offense or this lack of production? Like, I have to scar the record book, so it would take too long to figure out. But like, what teams have this lack of production quarterback who can't throw over 100 yards through three games? Like, I it's mean, to me, to me the of. bigger
0: point is like they had exactly one passing play of over 20 yards, and yeah. that play, or actually, it was exactly 20 yards. Yes, the McGriff play, and it and it was the it was the, the it was Justin McGriff's other catch beyond the touchdown.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I like I don't know what like part of it too is like they weren't allowing like maybe because here's two ways to look at it. The offense is garbage. The team's terrible. There's there. Jason Shelley's not a good guy. They wish they had Henry Columbia back. So they don't. did do they, do they not trust Shelley to throw the ball downfield? Because he's made a couple like that throw last weekend in the back of the end zone. Like that was a more of the best catch of the weekend. Like when he throws downfield, the very few times he has it, there's a couple times it's like oh I could see this. But they're not even calling plays for receivers to go beyond like ten yards very often. Like, is it the offensive coordinator not know what he's doing? Like, does he not trust Shelley's arm to throw down the field? Is there not accuracy there? Like, there's a lot more going on because I can't put all the blame on these players because when you're calling plays that aren't going downfield, how the heck can you succeed? Like, if you're doing everything underneath, short passes, you're eventually – defense is just going to suffocate you, come forward, come forward, bump down fly a scrimmage, and crowd the field and there's nothing open.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's particularly egregious in this case because, you know, for the majority of the game – they owned massive field position advantages on Nevada too. You know, their average drive started at their own 31. The average Wolfpack drive started at their own 19. And, you know, for Nevada, that just didn't seem to matter for them for long stretches of the game. You know, after those first three drives where they had the turnover for downs, they had the safety and they punted. They had three straight touchdowns before the end of the half. They almost, I think they almost had a fourth one. You know, they got to the, to the 40 before they ran out of time. Yeah. Uh, and then they came back out after halftime, scored another touchdown, and then put together after two three field and goals, goals, drives after that. Yeah,
1: Like, Utah State's defense did – the first first quarter, they were doing quite well. It was ninety 7 You're right, you're right. The safety, turnover on downs in that first – the very first drive, he, Nevada's like, we're not dealing with this. We're just going for it. Like, fourth and two, go for it. Just past midfield at the the uh, 43 – oh, sorry, they're on 43. It's like, we're not punting there. They were not scared of Utah State at all. It's like, what's the point? We're in our own territory. We'll still go for it. Who cares? Utah State yeah. stopped them. Got the safety. Like they made good plays early on. They forced the next drive. The first three and out. Like they were doing good. Touchdown drive. Okay, whatever they get a TD. But then it's touch. Then they kind of will off. touchdown. Offense three and out touchdown. Five place punt touchdown. Like it kind of snowballed after that second touchdown. Mm-hmm. Where they couldn't get going. Like any play they're doing, like they just don't like. Also, where's Savion Scarver? Like, he, is he even out there catching passes? One for nine yards.
0: Mm-hmm. Nathan had well, one, he, one for six. He's not the primary weapon in this offense. I think they were expecting more. More than one know, for From nine. a guy like Justin McGriff. From a guy like you know, th- like if you go back and look at who was in their starting lineup, they got four wide receivers listed, and none of them are Scarver.
1: That's a problem. Not
0: just for problem. That's Scarver. a problem for well, because the, junior because guy, all American. They've got a lot of speed guys. They've got one size guy. They they don't have a size and speed guy. And it seems to me like that's really becoming a problem. Like they don't have a wrong, wrong Quavian Qua- Tarver. Yeah, or even a big tight
1: end that gets those passes either.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, Carson Terrell, I think, came back and had his first, you know, extended game action of the year. I think he caught his first pass, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but one for 10, that's it. But, you know, they're missing, you know, so many elements of, you know, of, of a balanced offense, which I think is what they want to be. Like, I don't think they necessarily want to lean on the pass like they did in the Jordan Love years. They just don't have anybody who can do a little bit of everything like they did in years past either.
1: And they don't trust Jalen Warren to run the ball, who, okay, 7 for 27, not great, but Shelly, led team in rushing. It's like, there's – give me a positive on this team. Like, what's the positive on offense? Like, I like Warren, but he's not – There good is players. none. That's, That's the answer. So let's just get – Okay. Anything else we me to say about this game for for Nevada side Carson Strong? What is this? His third four hundred yard game,
0: I believe so. Yeah,
1: Toe-Tao, hundred yards. Like, let me ask you this question: We're doing a pull, are doing a kind of a horse race track here. We did this for basketball. We moved to the football. Basically, what we're doing is taking the top seven performances. Weird number. I chose seven because I think that's enough. Any deeper, it gets unwieldy, I, in my opinion. Carson Strong made it the first week, not last week. But if we're looking like at the best player in the league. Is it Carson Strong and nobody's close? Or would you put Ronnie if, Rivers? If there, were, if there were like
0: an MVP conversation, which you know I think the closest thing we have is Offensive Player and Defensive Player of the Year mm-hmm. from the conference media. Yeah. I think at this point, after three weeks, he's definitely in the driver's seat. Okay, I I, I, mean, mean, I think I think that there are other people that you can make reasonable arguments for. You know, some of whom we will probably touch upon later in the podcast. Um, you know, one of which is probably his teammate Romeo Dobbs Exactly. Who, At the moment, he's leading the country in yards per game. um, Ronnie Rogers. That's that's no easy feat. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are other cases that you can make if you want to, and you would have some standing. But for my money, it would be strong. If if the season were to end right now, um, he'd be my pick profits player of the year. easy.
1: Yeah. He, like, looking nationally, like, he already, okay, yards per game, it's a weird stat when he plays two games, but he's technically second in the country. Nine TDs, no interception, so it's hard to kind of gauge that. Mm. But like his like passing percentage, like he is off the charts. Like he, like he is a guy that he's seventy three percent. Like nobody's even close to that. Like in the country, that puts him top ten. Uh, it's funny if Graham Mertz of Wisconsin, because he had one game twenty 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 one. Like anybody with significant passing attempts, like I would put Strong in there. Like Nick Starkles just above him. He hasn't thrown nearly as much. Like the amount of attempts. Did you know, uh, attempt wise, Carson Strong one thirty one, Mac mm-hmm. Jones who's played six games one seventy seven attempts. That's it. He's already. I did not know that.
0: That he, is that is interesting. He
1: is that close, and he's already. And Zach Wilson, be who's played eight games, is two twenty one. But they throw quite a bit. We'll get to him later. But he is up like he would be my money player of the year. But what we're doing for this race it's quite interesting because Carson Strong didn't make it last week because he had a.
0: Air quote subpar game, I guess you want to say. <laughs> he had 350 <laughs> yards. So it was a subpar game. I think in one touchdown, <laughs> so I didn't
1: put him in there. I think that's what it was. But my point being, like, what we're doing, or maybe yeah, it was it's something weird. Like there's a there's a bunch of good stats. Like I put Romeo down to like, 200 plus yards or something. There are a bunch <laughs> of receivers that were just off the charts. But what we're doing is basically you get seven points for a first place vote down to one, and we're doing it each and every week. So this is a different way to pick player there It still might be the same guy. But it's an interesting way to go out and put it out. So, like, I put him. I actually put on Utah State Defender. You see how many, how many tackles? A.J. Let me get Vong the name. Bichon. I'm going to get the name right here. Yeah, Vong, Yeah, Vonguchon. I guess that's the easier way to say it. 17 tackles, 10 solo. What, do you get a sack in the TFL? I figured mm-hmm. if you anytime time you get 17 tackles, you're one of the top players of the week. That's so, fair. So, he's on the list. So, the, that's what we're doing. So, if you haven't checked out, we're putting out every week. But, like, Strong, yeah, he has to be, like – I don't think there's anybody that's really that close. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's the next game we got here? Well, we got to talk about oh, the sorry who's oh, coming geez. out of this game. G.A. Peace out. He's gone. What was the official wording? Mutually parted ways? Parted ways. So does this say Oregon State, you can have my money back? Or does he realize maybe I should have given up like $8 million?
0: That is a good question. I am not totally sure.
1: Are you surprised this happened?
0: A little bit. If only because, you know, we knew coming into 2020 that it was going to be a really weird situation for everybody to get up to speed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I wrote in the article after it happened, you know, I think there were maybe some red flags that that suggested that this might come down the pike at some point. You mean like, like no opt outs? (laughs) Yeah, like the whole opt outs thing, which we touched upon a little bit earlier. But, you know, as recently as, as uh, you know, about a week and a half ago, I guess at this point, after the, it was after the San Diego State game, he came out and said that the offense still doesn't have an identity. And, you know, I remember reading that at the time and wondering, you know, or just thinking of it as like a curiosity, but in retrospect, you know, even with the kind of the accelerated timeline to get up to speed in this truncated season, not a good sign that you're two, three weeks into the year you don't know what you want to be. I yeah. mean, I, I would imagine, especially if you're staking your claim on your new quarterback and letting, you know, the presumptive old quarterback go to a power five school. Like there's a lot writing on those kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in terms of guards per play, I put it out there like right now they're dead last in the country on a per play basis on offense. If that, I would say more than anything else, probably dooms his chances.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of different things. like we've already touched on the offense during the game. No quarterback over 100 yards. Like, I get his defensive coach, but defense is not good either. Like, look how many times they're getting blown up. It's like I get it. They lost a couple guys in the secondary do a new transfer, but if they were back, like that wouldn't make that much of a difference. This is a guy, and somebody got got after us on Twitter. I'm like, because um, Bruce Dallman, um Brett McMurphy, a lot of people talking about. Well, as we talked about before, about almost two years ago or whenever it was in 2018, in January I believe it was. Boosters were driving the decision, and I, I said this is why boosters should never have a say in this because when they get what they want, usually it doesn't work well. Jeff yeah. Tatford worked pretty well for Fresno State until he stepped down. Mm. Right, that went well, but usually it's not the case. Also, repeat coaches coming back, like look at John Robinson at USC back in the day, that didn't work well either. Right? I'd have to look up others, but usually repeat coaches coming back doesn't go well either. And then we see all the Aggie fans on Twitter, like a bunch of them are silent. He's like, this is the best move ever. He's never leaving town. He's here for 10 to 20 years. She never sold his house. I'm like, well, dude, his kids live in the area. He's from the state. He's not going to sell his house. Come on. He makes mm-hmm. millions of dollars. It's just a, <clears throat> a thing to have. But this move, it is surprising due to circumstances of what's going on in this year, but for how bad they are, I don't blame them for cutting ties and saying, dude, you're out of here. Like, I, we weren't a huge fan of the hire in the first place. Like they even had a chance, like getting not that Rich Rodriguez is like a huge, huge, huge name, but for you to say to get a guy like Rich Rodriguez who wants to be innovative on in offense, and the booster says no, stop. We want Gary Anderson, defensive coach who quit his last job at Oregon State because it was too hard, and also left Wisconsin because it was too hard for a perceived easier job in the West Coast in Corvallis, Oregon, where had he mm-hmm. done well, it would have been like the savior at a middling Pac-12 program to do good. He's a guy, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm not going to think I'm wrong. He's a guy who doesn't like a challenge because he left two jobs where he was struggling. In Wisconsin, he wasn't even struggling. It just was tough and he's doing well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the deal is with that, but Utah State, like the booster, the guy's like, well, you don't have boosters." I'm like, I'm glad we don't because they aren't football people. If they want to back money or have some input, okay, we'll give you your ear, but your, your decision isn't going to be the final the one. And so they, this move they have to do, like Utah State's slowly tr- turning back into independent Big West Sunbelt Utah State. This is how bad they are right now. It is getting that bad.
0: It's not going to be easy to turn around. So, I mean, I I, I know that Frank Nail has experience as an interim head coach before. You know, you may recall uh, that he was coach for the 2018 New Mexico Bowl after Matt Wells left for Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. But there's no easy answers here. For their most pressing problems, because they're they're still gonna have to sort out the quarterback situation. We didn't even mention, you know, that Shelley got benched for Andrew Peasley and he didn't do much better. Well, I don't
1: care; It doesn't matter. It's terrible. It,
0: yeah. So I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's there's a lot of issues, and I don't know that just replacing the head coach is gonna paper over it right away. This might be a situation where you know they need to take a good hard look at at what's gonna work. Into the future, what they want to prioritize, and you know, it may require a more extensive teardown. I don't know. Well, what were? I mean, they they were kind of an in-between team anyway. You know, just having taken a step back from 2018 to 2019, and you know, I, I think even maybe the most optimistic Aggies boosters, I don't think they were expecting them to compete for a conference title this year or anything. So this might just be a situation where they got to play out the string. And then, when the offseason comes around, do a hard reset. Figure out what you want to prioritize, and then make it happen.
1: Well, what's man? What's the reason they've been good? Offense, offense. Yeah, and who do they hire? A defensive coach. Use your brain, people. Why do you think you have Jordan Love last year, and you don't use him to? He he didn't play great year before, but you why bring in a defensive minded coach when you have a lot of receivers? You have, like, the offensive talent mm-hmm. they had last year, like, they had talent there. It's like, you're good when you're on an offensive team. Like, look at the Mountain West. Look at what you're going up against. Hawaii wants to score lots of points. Look what Nevada's doing this for tons of points. San Jose State's putting up points. Boise State always puts up points. Air Force is tough to stop, but they can put up points, but they're unique. Like, there's so many teams in the conference that put up points. Unless you're San Diego State, not many teams need to are playing defensive-brand football to win. Most of mm-hmm. these teams want to put up points, and when Utah State was out, it's peak and most successful, what were they doing? They are scoring points, beating Stony Brook 62 to nothing. You know what I mean? Like they were mm-hmm. crushing opponents and moving the ball. And that's what Matt Wells did. And they get to the one before Gary, but they're also in a lesser conference and the whack for the most part, not great talent. So that's why I like to move like Rich Rodriguez to come in. Cause he's a name that might be popping up again, but here's some names that are out there, which are very similar to who we mentioned before. And, we'll make this kind of quick because we want I get to other games here, but clear names that will be 100% on the radar. You'll have, and I and you don't also, here's the thing too, don't go to a full swing pendulum swing just to go to a full-on offensive coach if you don't want to. Be careful, take your time to do this.
0: But Yeah, don't, don't do like a Bowling Green kind of thing. Yeah,
1: don't just go out and do it, but names that will be brought up, which we did before, Morgan Scott, Utah defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. The reason he'll be brought up now more than before because he was... Clearly in line, under the table, handshake deal, a huge race to be Utah's new head coach when Kyle Whittingham steps down. That ain't happening anytime soon. Kyle Whittingham just recently got a four-year extension through 2027, but the main reason, Morgan Scali was busted for saying using, I believe it's official, through text messages and maybe during practice racial slurs, and so he's lucky to have a job, so it might be good for him to get out of town to be a head coach, then come back to Utah or whatever his future may hold. So mm-hmm. he's a good coach. Which defensive coach so is like, well, do you want to go that down that route? But also there's a concern. Is it Kyle Woodingham's defense or is it Morgan Scalley's defense, Utah? So there's always that. You have guys like at BYU who's doing really good, like Jeff Grimes or OC. You have Eliza Tuiaka, defensive coordinator. Ed Lamb, special teams coach, who has been head coach down at Southern Utah University. You have Jay Hilt Weber State, who's an offensive coach who's has – um would oh, choose I forget the running back name, but he's really, really good All-American, going to be drafted probably – a little smaller guy, but he's a little Weaver State to playoff appearances. At FCS, would they haven't been very good, scoring points. So there's a lot of guys in the state that are considered. But the best name I saw, uh, Bruce Feldman over the Athletic, Graham Harrell, USC offensive coordinator. If that's an option, do that. Right.
0: I mean, they certainly. Uh, I mean, the, the the Trojans looked a little messy on Saturday.
1: Well, look at Michael Pittman last week. It year. would Come be on. interesting.
0: It would be pretty interesting. He's also at North Texas with Mason Fine. And I think Rico
1: Bussy was here for a year or so before he was left town. But mm-hmm. if that could be done, go for a big name, like get an offensive coach. Like, why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's a couple of the names here. Uh, Philip mentions Miami OC coordinator or my same name, whatever. Rhett Lashley, who's doing pretty good with uh, Derek King. There, They're doing quite well. Um, you could bring David Yost, mm, maybe bring the Yost man back to town. True. Why not? Right. <laughs> Um, Dennis Image is another name. He's an Oklahoma OC, or excuse me, Oklahoma associate head coach. Um, he played linebacker at BYU, so he's a little bit familiar. That's a little air raid offensive type thing. So maybe Andy Avila, Avila is a Boise State now Oregon defensive coordinator. But those are kind of uh, names he's thrown out there. Like, what would pique your interest? Also, he mentioned wildcard option, Jim McElwain. <laughs>
0: no, that's not gonna
1: happen. <laughs> no. But, like, what would you like? What, what type of coach are you in agreement with me? Like, an offensive coach who wants to be innovative is what they need.
0: I mean, if I were in charge of a coaching search, that's definitely where I would start because, you know, you look at, especially with the, the other recent hiring trends, you know, Danny Gonzalez down in New Mexico is obviously a defensive guy, but I, I mean, you could say every other guy was more of an offensive guy, right? Even Steve Adazio. Unless you, yeah, I forget exactly.
1: Yeah, but he's like more conservative offensive guy, but still offensive yeah. nonetheless.
0: But you know, as somebody with a very established offensive identity, let's say. Mm-hmm. But you know, Marcus Marcus Arroyo, Kalen DeBoer, Todd Graham, you know, all three I think yeah. are better known for the offenses that they've created over the years. And so I think if you're trying to keep up with the rest of the conference in that regard, it may not be a bad idea to do that.
1: I think that's, I know it's, I know I mentioned it do a big pendulum swing. But it's not really when they had – off like, they have – you mentioned how deep their wide receiver group at Savon Scarver is not a starter. Mm-hmm. Like, he may not be an amazing receiver, but he has talent to get him the ball in ways they're not using when a guy who's an All-American punk kick returner. Yeah. Like, he does have to be a guy to get 10 targets a game, but get him to jet sweep, get a quick uh, bubble screen, do some stuff to get him in space. Like, they're not an innovative offensive team. Their defense isn't very good. It can only hold for so far. But I think, like, my number one choice is out there. If they can get Graham Harrell, pay whatever he's able to, you're able to pay him. Because if he wants to be the head coach somewhere, say USC, like, because Clay Hellen's tenured, we've talked pretty show sure, like, uh, te- it's tentative at best because he's always on the prevent- preventable hot seat, essentially, mm-hmm. out there in L.A. If he wants that job, he 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 can come back and get the job with the added bonus of being a head coach somewhere. There you go. All right, before I move on, we have a little bit of business to take care of here with my bookie. Because that's what we do here. So Matt, wait. We had um, in the fall we had the NBA bubble, which was it's like the NBA. Great college football now. Did you ever know where? Do we know where UFC Fight Island was, Matt? Did we ever figure that out?
0: I don't pay an attention. <laughs> Me neither, I'm just it's asking. Admittedly.
1: Hey, that's hey. They, they tell us to read here at my bookie, so we did. So 2020 has been a weird year because Fight Island's a weird thing. So that's why we need a sports book like any other. So get some real money in the game over at my bookie, or you get obviously odds boost, uh, great deals, free bets as well. Who doesn't like free money? All season long. we got college football, NFL, college hoops met like in two weeks, which schedules we're still not sure what's happening right now <laughs> in mm-hmm. three weeks. So. so you get right on the corner, NFL playoffs, all that type of stuff. So whether you're a first-time customer, which maybe I need to send it for my bookie. I don't think I'm eligible for a bonus bet, but maybe I need to get in there. But um, So check out my bookie for people who have been playing for years who know about it. Um, no shortage of any value, game lines. Remember, it's the player prop bet. So if you get if you want to bet at Utah State quarterback to throw under 100 yards, that might be on there. Sorry, guys, but that might be on there to take. So, Matt, if we're feeling lucky, that might be something to lean toward. But mm-hmm. here's what we got here. They also got a fully-fledged casino platform, doing access to table games, card games, expect at your local spot where it's legal to play, obviously. Um, but the best part, doors never close. You can do it 24-7. So if you have insomnia at 3 a.m., I guess I'll check my my bookie account see what we can do. But here's what we got for you. The best part about this, if you sign up today, um, promo code, if you've listened to our podcast, Matt, it's overtime, correct?
0: Yeah, it if is you, correct.
1: It's, if you can't miss it, it's overtime. So to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks, The terms are simple. You put in, for example, $200, we'll match it with $100 into your account. So if you have a slow start, it doesn't matter. you got some free money to play with. So check that out. The winning season always over at MyBookie to get that 50% match. All right, more games. What's next game we're doing here, Matt? We still on Thursday? Border War. Border War. Oh, boy. Did you hear a rumor for our buddy Josh Fredlund who said that might be a 2.0 Border War?
0: I did not hear about that.
1: He, okay. Qualifiers all around. Message board material.
0: <laughs> okay. Go, go on.
1: He mentioned it could happen again, but I don't understand how when Colorado State has a game next week. So we'll get to that later. That's, that's true. <laughs> so that was my point. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so Border War... Dude, we're only game two over 40 minutes in. we are got to hustle here. So, border war. Colorado State, 34. Wyoming, 24. And you know what this game really came down to? What's that? Turnovers. Yeah. Had Wyoming not turned the ball over as much as they did, they probably would be holding the bronze boot as we speak because Levi Williams threw the ball pretty well. No touchdowns. We had a pick. Xavier Valade did what does what he does. And then they also had... Um, Aiden Eberhart, 132 yards. They just got behind 14-0 and could not recover from those um, turnovers on a handful of possessions early in the game. And they just had to play catch-up. And Wyoming, as good as Levi Williams and those guys, are, they don't have the offense built enough to catch up, in my opinion. Being down 17-7, 14-0, 17-0. They were down quite a bit early on, and they couldn't recover.
0: I mean, I think more broadly, what my big takeaway from this game was, was that the Cowboys... Seemed, you know, surprisingly kind of sloppy all the way around. They were, yeah. And it, and it wasn't just the the turnovers, which obviously those that is a, a very big indicator of how games often unfold. Pick six, yeah, that too. Yeah, but beyond that, you know, the fact that you know the offensive line wasn't able to you know really take care of Levi Williams maybe as much as we might have suspected, you know, as evidenced by the fact that the that the Rams were able to rack up six sacks. 14 TFLs. Oh boy, am I, am I reading that correctly? Um, let me double check here. Um, break up, break up the Rams in that case. Seven quarterback hurries. Yeah, and so and and beyond that, you know, they also had eight penalties. I think for for 83 yards, which is not something that you typically see from a Wyoming from, from a Craig Bowl team. And so, when you kind of put all those things together, it kind of taken, especially with your point to the fact that they were playing from behind pretty much the entire game that's not the way that they want to win games. And no. so when you look at, especially just at the, the stat sheet, you look at the traditional stats, you know, Williams did his best to try to lead him back. You know, he completed 19 of 31 passes. He threw for over 300 yards. Um, and, and Xavier Valaday had 28 carries for 147 yards. So, you know, yes, he, does. He, he did his job. You know, they were able to get a surprising number of big plays through the air. You know, I remember Hart was kind of the breakout guy. Seven catches, 132 yards. As a team, they actually had 10 pass plays of over 15 yards. When's the last time you saw that from a Wyoming offense? Not in a while. But, you know, there's it's the other things that didn't really show up on the stat sheet that really made all the difference in this game. Like the fact that, you know, even beyond the sacks and the tackles for loss, it seemed like Williams was under fire pretty much... You know, almost every other time he went back to drop back to pass. Well, yeah, the six sacks, seven hurries, that's 13 attempts that didn't go his way. So when you look at the fact that, you know, they were perfect when they got to the red zone, you know, they were, they were four for four mm-hmm. um, scoring touchdowns, I think, or just scoring, turning turning red zone opportunities into points because they scored 24 points, obviously. Yeah, three rushing touchdowns. And the fact that they, out, they actually outgained the Rams on a per play basis, 5.8 to 5.4, you know there were there were plenty of things that they did right, but they ultimately shot themselves in the foot too many times to really stay in this game.
1: Yeah, minus three turnovers, eight eight for eighty three penalties, fourth only four fifteen on third downs, one of on four on fourth down. Yeah, so like CSU wasn't great on third down, but four thirteen whatever. But the pick six, no turnovers, penalties were average six for forty five. They basically, like yeah, Wyoming played their worst game. And we're still only 10 points behind.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think, yeah, you know, I don't want to not credit the Rams for the performance that they put forward. Because, you know, like I said, I think it was the defense that really led the way, not only in terms of the sacks and the tackles for loss. But, you know, another way that Wyoming doesn't want to win games is to have to convert third and long. And the Rams did a really good job of forcing that issue, especially early on in the game. You know, the the Cowboys only ended up one of eight on third and long, which is, you know, conversions of nine or more yards. And, you know, that included, I think one of the, you know, I think it was third and 12 when Williams threw that opening interception to Marshawn Cameron. So they put themselves exactly in the position that they wanted to in order to beat the, to beat Wyoming. And, you know, by that measure, mission accomplished. I got two words for this game. Patrick O'Brien. Mm-hmm.
1: because as we mentioned in our last show Steve Adagio would go with Todd Sintia was being too cute and too smarty to outthinking himself go with the quarterback and you can throw the ball <laughs> you know what I mean it does mm-hmm. help Dante Wright Ty McColl was back in there because Wright had 10 for 148 and along a 42 they had a couple of big plays like Trey McBride um, had two touchdowns right there so they passed the game like I don't know if it was I think Adagio was outthinking himself it's like the uh the water boy play scene with Henry Winkler, where he's trying to make the play. Like, okay, he'll pretend, he'll fake this way. That he'll pretend to fake. He will fake a throw, pretend to throw. Like, all these fake. So, you think he was going all Henry Winkler? Yeah, that's exactly okay. what I think he was. And so, go with the proven a, a com- commodity with Patrick O'Brien. He was 18, he's fine. He's 255, a couple touchdowns, found his two top targets. It helps the two mm-hmm. top, the top targets were back, like, right. But the defense did help them all. Like, but I just think, like, for more stability, like, go with Patrick Murray. Then they had a, a good running game. Like McElroy only had twenty yards, but they brought Ajan Vivens, who had a uh, big play. Is he officially wide receiver or if he moved? Because he got a lot of carries for a guy listed as a wide receiver who wears number twenty. I thought he was a
0: running back. I, don't know. I could be mistaken about. I
1: that. I saw list listed wide receiver, but fourteen for sixty-two, a solid day. That one play was thirty yards. But like, when you look at the Rams, like I, like Dallas to Fresno, it was Fresno State, right last week? Yes. Where yep. I. Are they better? They lost Fresno State. Are they better? I don't know how they played. O'Brien when they've won, maybe because when he came in, he was pretty good. But like, stick with the guy who slings the ball around and like go from there. Work around him instead of trying to beat the scheme. It's like talent wins. Mm-hmm. You have the talent to talent the player. Put your talent to play it out there. There's only so much you do scheme wise, structure wise, play calling wise. Go with the talent out there. It's like why mess with something? And a Adasia's new coach. There's things like that in there, but. Go with the guy who you know he can play, because I still believe O'Brien, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in conference, is near the top of that list.
0: I mean, I think more so than O'Brien, like if the defensive line in particular can play the way that they played yesterday, this team could be a major force going the rest of the way. And, you know, obviously I think Manny Jones is maybe the big highlight. you know, because he had four tackles for a loss, two sacks, and then seven total tackles. But he had plenty of help. You know, Tommy McBride, who I think we all kind of we've all kind of known over the last couple of years that like when he's been healthy he's been productive he had two TFLs. Scott Patchen had a tackle for a loss and a half and you know that's a trio right there where like I said if they can stay healthy and if they can play up to their potential they could change the tenor of the race to the top of this conference
1: yeah well to, I'll start I think we'll start posting a conference to just assembly, really to the conference stage and stuff really quick at FBI like they're they're I think you put the early lines are they like a double digit dog to Boise State? Uh, I think it was minus
0: 14, fourteen if I'm not mistaken.
1: So they're like rest of the way. Just really quick, they're a huge FPI here. They're only given a fourteen percent chance to beat Boise. I don't buy this Air Force line right now. Maybe it's not updated, but only thirty seven chance to beat Air Force. Same with San Diego State. Only nineteen percent to beat San Diego State. Like, mm-hmm. So they're projected to only win to go like to win three games this year to be three and three. Like I don't think they'll beat Boise State, but
0: I don't. I think they could be their force, and I think they can give San Diego State one heck of a game. Talent was never the issue with this team, coaching. And if they, and but if the coaches can put their talent in a position to succeed, like they did in this game, that's why I think that you know if you're a Rams fan, you can be optimistic about their chances going forward to make some noise. All right, so um, we'll see how they go. I, th- I think they could be.
1: I don't know if they'll be – whatever, spoiler, whatever, but I think they'll be in the conversation as a top-half team. Yeah, I can see that. So we'll go from there. All right, so
0: uh, is, is it on the Boise State game now? Uh, did that one start first? Yeah, we could we can go there. We I mean, we've got to go there sometime. You know how um, – We should probably mention the final score first.
1: Mention the final score. I'm doing something really quick. I'm pulling this
0: up. It's what, 51-14? 51-17.
1: Okay. So – I cover BYU for radio station. We talk about the Cougars all the time. We got a Heisman hype thing going on. It's like, whatever you believe that or not, that's whatever. But one thing I noticed, you know, how this game's really a rivalry. Coach Collins talking in prior games has taken Zach Wilson out early in the game. Mm-hmm. That was not the case today. They did not, do they do did not at at all, take him no. out of this game. And so that was a big key. Like, watch this game. Like, okay, to be fair, I didn't watch a ton of it because when I saw the score, I'm like, I got better things to do in my life here than watch this blowout loss. But I caught up with things. But um, with him not Kalani Stuckey, not taking out Zach Wilson, that says he's pissed. And he's like, we're going to, it's the rivalry game. This is, we can't beat Utah. So I still got that. But we're going to beat Boise State. First one ever on the blue turf. But like, this game, like, okay, there's two ways to look at this. BYU clearly is good. Boise State defense couldn't hold on. But also, I do realize Boise was down to. What did they play? Four quarterbacks in this game?
0: Yeah. So, I, for those of you who didn't see the game, I feel like there's a lot of context involved. There know, for how this game unfolded. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it came out, you know, I think of, what was it like 30 minutes before kickoff that, you know, there was going to be no Hank Bachmeyer? There was going to be no George Halani. We already knew that Dimitri Washington was done for the year. But then I saw this picture of all the Boise state players who were out for that game you know it was a not in bench area you know somebody just took a picture, uh, johnny mallory from k mm-hmm. and you know you started seeing the names that were listed on there you know latrell Caples. You know, l- you know a lot of role players in addition to these some of the guys we already mentioned you know no joel velasquez no shea whiting yeah. and so you started seeing all these names and it was like I started thinking back to the conversation we had during the preview podcast. I was like, mm-hmm. well, if I had known all of this was going to happen, I might have thought that the game was going to unfold differently. And and then they lost Jack Sears in the first quarter. Not helpful. And I feel like that was that really took the air out of the sails of the entire team because, you know, like you mentioned, the defense did everything that it could to try to hang on to this game. Like I wish I could find splits from first half to second half but because i would imagine that they they did a much better job of trying to keep the clamps on on the cougars in the first half you know they forced a punt they forced a turnover on downs and 16 you know, they were able to do anything with it on offense and yeah. then as soon as halftime came out you that BYU went on five straight touchdown drives yeah it was and this is like and it, was, it was, it was over that at that point. Yeah. like you could tell at a certain point they just weren't going to come back.
1: Yeah, this is like the Houston game where Boise struggled in the first half. Same type of thing, outscored like the final four to six touchdowns, whatever it was, four or five touchdowns that game for a big win. Yeah, it was only sixteen to three to half. Like yeah, Boise had interception, but defense turnover and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the offense goes three and out. They fumble one play, and luckily you can't score any points at the end of the half. They like look in the first half's drive like it wouldn't matter if Jack Sears is in there or not. Punt four plays, punt three plays, punt, um, interception, punt three plays. Their only points in the first half was a 16-play drive that resulted only in a field goal. Mm-hmm. So, And we knew Boy's defense is good. Like, There's no question about how that they could be good. But we kind of figured, like even if, like, I don't want to say what if, but if they're at full strength, I still don't think Boise probably would have won this game the way it played out, like the way they're moving. But when your offense can't hold them long enough to give your defense a break, at some point, it's going to bust through, and it did. Like, the talent was still there. So you can tell in the first half, it was a competitive game. we clearly wasn't going Boise's ways by any stretch. But at some point, the dam broke in the defense. When you're playing your backups, you got to go to your third-string guy, the rotational guys who barely play any time. And, again, they didn't get any fall camp or any extended practice to get going, really. No spring football for the young guys. But that was tough for them to do. But, again, like, maybe I don't know, whatever. BOE's really good. But they were in this game to ram it down the throat because this was the only game they have all year that's worth noting to see how they play against on the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, and to, to that point, you know, especially uh, to the defense, yeah, there was like a – I did find a split between, you know, first quarter and second quarter. It did not go well for them in the first quarter. They allowed 12 yards per play. But it was a lot closer in the second quarter when they held them to nine points. And, you know, that was when they had the turnover on downs that they forced – and even though the offense really scuffled throughout, like they only ended up averaging 4.1 yards per play on offense. They held BYU in that second quarter just over five yards of play. They gave themselves a chance, and you know by that same measure, you know BYU had or they ended up with over with ten plays of over 15 yards through the air, but seven of those came after halftime. So they weren't. I mean, and that's you know not to say that Zach Wilson didn't make some throws that seemed to have caused Football Twitter really buzzing, um, but he didn't have as many in that first half as I think you might have expected. It wasn't until they came out after halftime, and then Wilson and everybody else on that offense just really kind of blew the doors off of them.
1: Yeah, they don't count, but you're right. Like again, it goes back to my point where when you're playing with second guys and you have to go to your third guys for rest for whatever reason, or you get no, your offense can't help a, help a brother out by going 90 seconds before you're back into play again after a long drive. Eventually, it's going to break through. Yeah. Like, players there, but I guess one player we should highlight, really, Kalusha here did not give up. Ten receptions, two touchdowns, 139 yards. She was out there to try to do anything he could. But well, like, he had an onside kick recovery. That's right. He gonna, that? Yes, he did. I was going to mention that, too. Onside kick recovery. <laughs> like, they had – they made it – it was just a tough day where it's not all injuries because BYU is clearly the better team. But like I said, if BYU was full strength, so is Boise, I'd, st- I'd probably still pick BOE. BYU. But my point being why they – clearly they brought up the score. I'm like they – other games they've played all year, they would take out Zach Wilson midway through the fourth quarter and not just pass the ball as much as they did. And so this is a statement for them. Like this is the only team we're going to play good because with San Diego State. We'll get to losing to San Jose State. Odds of of them getting ranked not going to happen. BYU is trying to add another game. There's rumors of Marshall getting on the schedule, which, yeah, they might be undefeated, but how good is Marshall? I don't know. But this is the game where they want to make a statement game to get a victory big to prove to whoever's making picks for playoffs or near six that they're a team to be considered
0: considered for. So what would you put Boise State's odds of capturing one of the two spots in the championship game at this point? Because they're still undefeated in conference play. <laughs> so I guess you know maybe the broader question is, how concerned are you going forward? Because some of this stuff is under their control like the fact that they, they allowed Zach Wilson to come out and torch them after halftime, which, you know, some of that is you know, due to fatigue. They weren't getting as much pressure on him in the second half, and some of it was just, you know, the secondary got beat a few times. Um, but, you know, some of those other things are out of their control, like COVID and, and things like that, which obviously they didn't come out and say players missed the game because of COVID, but I think there's an assumption out there that that was what happened to some of these players. So I guess, you know, because I mean, when I ask that, I'm thinking about the, the poll that you put out there on Twitter about who's the best team in the <laughs> conference right now. And a lot of people said it's still Boise State. So I guess maybe more to the point, do you still think that Boise State is the best team in the conference right now? As of are today, Sunday night,
1: November 8th, would you like to know where I put them in a power pool? Yes. Not number one. Okay. I put Nevada number one. And I okay. and I don't think that's controversial by any stretch of the means. I did put San Jose State behind Boise at three. Because while they did beat a pretty good San Jose State team, I'm not 100% sold on what they can do. Not yet. I like what they're doing. They're undefeated. It's amazing. But also, we get to see San Jose State Boise State. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, I would say, clearly they're not out of it because they haven't lost a conference game. They are 2-0, and which is some, what some teams can't say in the conference. But they play CSU Thursday night at home. And I don't know what the injury status is and all these players at the moment. We'll get to that later. But I would still – like if I'm looking at who's – like who. here's who they play. Let me just get to that real quick. They host CSU. Probably a win. I'm pretty confident they're going to get a victory for CSU. Mm. They go to Hawaii. Depends what Hawaii team shows up a little bit. That's going to be a little more trickier, I think. Hosting San Jose State, we'll see how good they are. Especially quarterback of Nick Starkle, because he got crushed in that game for San Jose State. But then they go to UNLV and at Wyoming. When we're looking at the games where they might possibly lose, the most likely order of FPI is kind of in my, my quarter here. At Wyoming, there's still a 61% chance to win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every other game is higher, but I would still... I'm not those guys like older champs or injuries, blah, blah, blah. But if they keep getting injured like this or guys can't play, yes, they could lose to Hawaii. Yes, they could lose to San Jose State. Remember last year? They had to win in a shootout to beat San Jose State. With You know what I mean? like It wasn't a give mm-hmm. they beat Spartans last year at, home, at on the road. And so I would think like if I'm looking at I what they have the rest of the way, I could see them winning every game left, but I also could see them losing at Hawaii, losing out Wyoming, and San Jose State could be a toss-up.
0: The road looks a lot tougher than it might have two or three weeks ago. Yeah, the
1: Rams look better. Every team looks better, but I don't. You know, UNLV will be fine. They'll be able to beat them. But yeah, I like. It's not easy, but I'd still, right now, I put them. They'd be able to get one of those two spots, but I wouldn't put them the overall in favorite to win the whole conference. Okay, Wyoming looks that good. I mean, excuse me, Nevada looks that good. Where, like where do you stand? Are you in that same category? Do you think there's should still be number
0: one? I would not put them number one right now. No. Would you put them number two? Probably, but I have
1: to think about it. That's what I did too. It wasn't even sold on number two. So, all right. So we get to um, what's the next game? Is it the other? Is it? Um, oh, my tabs are gone again. Is it the San Jose State game? That is correct. Told you. Sort of told you. This game would be tough. The past two years, between the trenches, San Diego State, San Jose State, very tough game. Finals Man, my freaking internet's so worse. What's the final score here? My tab closed on me again.
0: 28-17 to 17 in favor of the Spartans.
1: With the backup quarterback for most of the game, correct?
0: Mm-hmm. So how yeah, did, Nick Starkle got taken out in the first quarter. Was
1: it a knee thing? Because I kind of watched it fast-forward on mute a little bit. I didn't see Was it a knee thing we got that tackled?
0: I don't recall off hand. I haven't seen any updates about it either. There are no updates ever. You don't get updates yeah. in college football. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. They they tell you nothing, but you know I think it it and it looked a little dicey without him for a little bit. And, you know I mentioned it in the the winners and losers column that I wrote over on mwwire uh, earlier this morning. That when Nick Nash came in, he was a little shaky at first, and you know some of that was uh, you know owed to him. You know he missed I think at least one overthrow, um, but you know that's also a credit to the San Diego State defensive line. They were able to get a lot of early pressure on him. And he only completed one of his first seven passes. and so you know just as an outside observer, you started to think, oh man, is he going to be able to to survive against this pass rush? And then you know he hit Derek Dees for a 22 yard game and then from there it seemed like he was off to the races. You know he completed I think six straight passes, ended up going 16 for 25 with 169 yards, two touchdowns and only one interception. So, you know, he came in and held his own, but I think it was a real team effort that enabled them to keep the Aztecs at bay in this game.
1: Oh, it definitely was because it wasn't just one guy. They, like, he was a starting quarterback, and Stark looked really good. So, you bring Nash in, he's more of a running cell quarterback. But when you look at City of State, like, they're not an explosive team. So, we know they're not going to go out and score 40 points to get these wins, right? So, that. That's the thing, where maybe they kind of need to get that going a bit more. But San Jose State losing in Starkle, yeah, it's a concern. But they, I don't think they'd ever really be out of it because of the slow pace Asics want to play. And that kind of helps any team that loses a key player. So it's like kind of a – you know what I'm getting at? It's like where Asics <clears> weren't going to roll roll the game over, even though the defense is really good. Like how the defense even shut down um, Nick Nash the whole game? It's like – well, they only need 20 points to get to victory, right? And that's all it took, mm-hmm. and they got 28 because they were able to get past. Like Nick Nash had two touchdown passes. He led the team in rushing, three total. Like the offensive game for Spartans wasn't pretty, but they got more than San Diego State in that fourth quarter. They came out strong, got those two touchdowns to get to victory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think to that point they were pretty even overall as far as yards per play. You know, they they did outgain the Aztecs, but it wasn't by much. It was 5.2 to 4.8. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they mitigated what San Jose, excuse me, what San Diego State had done really well in their first couple of games, which was put themselves in a position early to keep moving the chains. You know I, I mentioned in the preview, and I can't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast, but that San Diego State had been making its hay by averaging, I think seven and a half or eight yards per carry on first down. And when you go and look at how this game really broke down, the Aztecs still tried to do that. They ran the ball 20 times on first down, but they only averaged 3.6 yards per play. And that that right there was a massive difference from what they had been able to do against uh, against Utah State and UNLV. You know, some of that, I would say maybe the majority of that is due to the defensive front. They really stood up and made a lot of impact plays. Kyle Harmon had himself a game, 14 tackles, including a tackle for loss. Mm You know, but you know, the guys up front played really well too, you know, E.J. Ane, Miyami Fihoko, you know, Kate Hall, all those guys really contributed to what was I would say was a team effort. And as a result, you know, they put the they put the Aztecs in a lot more third downs, you know, that weren't necessarily, you know, easy first downs. You know, they were six for fifteen overall, which is okay, but they were one of four on third and long. You know, most of their were on third and mid, and they had somewhat mixed results. So, you know, I think the Spartans did a lot of things right, especially on defense, to force the Aztecs to play a game that they didn't necessarily want to. And I think when you look at, you know, San Diego State's yards per carry on the ground, they held them in check even beyond first downs. Like, Greg Bell had over 100 yards, but he only averaged 4.4 yards per carry. Barely. Again, a far cry from what they had done before. Chance Bell, seven carries, eighteen yards. You know that in itself would have been a big mm-hmm. win. No you know, big plays either. No longest rushing play is thirteen yards. And and to the Aztecs' credit, you know they were able to make up for that quite a bit. I would say on the arm of Carson Baker because he was twenty-one of thirty for two hundred sixty-one yards. But to me, the big thing was that they had six plays uh, that totaled one hundred sixty-nine yards through the air. And I think a lot of that came down to the connection that he had early and often with Jesse Matthews. Yeah, yep. 139 that long
1: to 51 three plays over at least 20 yards.
0: Yes. So it's like so. Hmm. So they were able to pick up chunk plays. They were able to put themselves in a position to succeed. You know, they moved the ball quite a bit in this game. I would say. But when push came to shove, I think the Aztecs, excuse me, the Spartans just made more plays, especially down the stretch. You know, in that fourth quarter, you know, after scoring their last touchdown, you know, their last four drives went fumble, interception, fumble, turnover on downs.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say too. Those last, like, they were they. That's what that was basically the game because it was close. It was going into the fourth quarter. It was fourteen to ten in favor of San Jose State. Mm-hmm. And you're right, like they fumbled both those. They turned those into points essentially. Like the fumble went for a touchdown. Interception mm-hmm. led to nothing, but then they got a touchdown shortly after. After they, You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was the ball game right there. And Then there's another pick, like you mentioned, another, not pick, but a turnover down. So Spartans, like, they're good. Like, you're right. We should have trusted you, Matt. Get on the bandwagon at San Jose State. We were missing, not seeing the big picture here. But with San Jose State, like, what, what hurt them? Like we mentioned before, if Carson Baker is having to throw this many times, they're not doing well. And clearly that happened. And the more they throw... The more mistakes they make, running game was fine, but not what they wanted it to be. Excuse me. Going back to like the past couple weeks of last week where they rushed over everybody and everything last week in their victory. And so this doesn't mean to say something very good. It just means that Spartans' defense, like they gave up a, like, a decent amount of yards. But like where it mattered, they clamped down and stopped. Like You mentioned the rushing game was, what, 2.2 yards per rush? Mm-hmm. That's not good. I know that sack yardage included. But like they did pass a bit better, but if, if if you're gonna tell me Carson Baker's gonna throw for two hundred and fifty or three hundred yards, I'm like fine, give it to me. I'll beat you because that means you're not running the ball well. Yeah, like there weren't penalty issues. Like San Diego State held the time of possession by fourteen minutes. They were a decent six of fifteen on third down, but it came to they had very few penalties. It was the three turnovers and the the last turnover on downs in the fourth quarter. Like the fourth quarter is what did them in. They just couldn't keep going. They just lost whatever was working well. And yeah. the longer it takes and for it, Baker to throw, I'm like, you're fine. Do it. We're going to beat you.
0: And I think that they had the appropriate aggressiveness, too. You know, because when when they had those two turnovers on downs, you know, they were at the San Jose State 20 uh, in the early third quarter. That was their first drive, I believe, at a halftime. It was, yes. And then, and then the last-ditch drive. And, you know, that was, it was a right process. They just didn't get the result that they wanted, which I think is a credit to the fact that, they didn't necessarily lose the game as much as San Jose State earned it. Like it was a back and forth game, and there was you know plenty of instances where I think you know things kind of unfolded in a different way. You know, this is not necessarily to say that the Aztecs are doomed or anything like that. I think they're still going to play a major factor in in the race to the top of the conference. But you know now they're going to have a little more work to do, and they're going to need to get a little help to get back into one of those top two spots.
1: Yeah, they need help because they've already lost. Well, head-to-head, head, I guess. We'll get to standings. Maybe I'll do that this week for three games and It's going to look kind of weird. But like, So do you think San Jose State's a legit contender to get one of the top two spots? Uh, yeah, I think so. There's only three teams undefeated. Boise, mm-hmm. San Jose State, Nevada. Yeah. When, when is that Nevada-San Jose State matchup, man? Whew. I think it's like two or three weeks from now, that if I'm a, not mistaken. That's a pretty big game, right?
0: I don't have their schedule uh, No, actually,
1: no. No, excuse me. Season finale, Friday night game.
0: Oh, okay. All right, interesting. Yeah, that, so, I mean, they've, and they've got time to build momentum. It's You know, it's they get UNLV next week, which I believe they're favored by two touchdowns to what, win that one at home. What?
1: Wait a minute. What? <laughs> two touchdowns. Like, what does that happen? <laughs> Never. San Jose
0: State says two games this year, double digit favorites? That's true. Whew. Fresno will be a pretty big matchup we're going to learn a lot more about them in the couple weeks after that, you know, on the road at Fresno and at Boise. But I think what we've seen from this team early on, like the defense looks much improved. You know, they held air force in check. They held San Diego state in check. They did what they needed to do. And, you know, especially if the offense comes back hundred percent, if Nick Starkle is able to be back in the next couple weeks, this team absolutely has all the pieces to be a factor. All right, so let's go to the next game. All right. Fresno State 40,
1: UNLV 27. How come nobody's talking about Ronnie Rivers for being an amazing player? Like, he's always the never thought of for the best running back in the conference. Well, we
0: m- he, m- Maybe you.
1: Well, I mean, we, we, we've noted he's one of the top four, but we always kind of put him behind Charles Williams, Xavier Valade. Like, he was just right there but not quite. Mm-hmm. This year, he's clearly the best running back. Right. Specifically at this game, four touchdowns, mm-hmm. 99 rush, receiving yards, 133 rushing. I'll list all the stats off if you want, folks. He was on point and
0: was the big reason Fresno State won 40-27. to 27. That's true. I mean, I guess you would say he was probably the reason yeah. they were able to hang on. Sure. Because, you know, for, for long stretches of this game, what it really came down to is, you know, which defense was going to make a stop. Because UNLV was right there for – just yeah. about three three quarters, and it wasn't really until they they blinked, and and by that I mean they you know, the president ultimately forced a couple of turnovers that really changed the tide of the game, but you be hung in there, and they had a lot of big plays on the ground. You know, Max Gilliam, he only had 160 yards through the air. He only completed about 50 percent of his passes, but you know he. Yeah, had a couple of big connections. He had the one big strike to Tylee Collins, and he had a 71-yard touchdown run on the ground that fooled just about everybody on the Bulldogs' defense. So, you know, I think this was more what I expected to see from the Rebels, you know, back in week one. And so I think if you're a Rebels fan, yeah, it's frustrating to see them lose this game. And and there's you can say that yeah they'll probably still want to clean up the mistakes in, in the long run especially the turnovers, but you can feel a lot better about their chances to at least create headaches going forward if they can play like this especially on offense. You think it'll continue though? I mean is that maybe the big, is that I'm, the big
1: question. Maybe maybe.
0: I think the big question is are they gonna is the passing game can it take another step forward? Because I think to me that's kind of the big question. I
1: agree, like, they played both quarterbacks. Like, Ronnie Rivers looked great, but they combined for 20 for 35, which is fine, but only 244 and one TD. Mm -hmm. Like, they need – if that was one quarterback, I'd be more confident. But, like, if they – you're right. I think if they get a passing game improving just a little bit, like, they're no team, I would put as a contender for the conference championship game.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, one one thing that really played a factor in this game too for for both sides, which I think helps to explain why it was so even for so long – is both defensive lines were able to get after it, too. You know, like, the, both offenses had their fair share of big plays, but, you know, Fresno State racked up six sacks. UNLV had four. And that was not something that you really saw from from either team a lot, or maybe expected to see from either team, especially the Rebels. But, you know, you started to see some of their, you know, new faces, some of their young players really step up and, and have... Yeah, a big afternoon. I think to me, most notably, Jacoby Windman, who you know nine tackles, which led the team, two and a half sacks, and I think he tipped an intercept He tipped a pass that was almost an interception. So you know those 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 little things that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet that, again, could make a big difference for this team going forward, if those kinds of things go their way. So is there a
1: quarterback issue for us in state then?
0: No. No, um, after the game, and I think this was from Jackson Moore over at the Bark Board, they mentioned, or Kellen DeBoer mentioned that, you know, they just saw an opportunity to get Ben Warridge into the mix. And that's not necessarily an indication that Jake Hayner is about to lose his job. Um, and honestly, I think the way Hayner played, you know, he had his own long touchdown run mm-hmm. um, off the zone read that fooled the Rebels defense. He went in untouched. And I think if, you know, if you're a Bulldogs fan, you're not complaining about that. Nope. Um and and he was fifteen of twenty-three hundred and sixty-four yards in a score otherwise. He didn't have any turnovers. So I think, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily like a Carson Strong level passing performance, but he did exactly what they needed him to do. Then what? like what's
1: like what opportunity did they really see when this game was a tight game? Like that's the weird question. Like you mentioned, as most people did, it was tied going into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. What opportunities beforehand was like, oh, this is a good chance for a backup quarterback in a game where it's tight? What coach does I'm, that?
0: I mean, I'm not totally sure. I, it's, it's just peculiar, right? I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, you kind of see it everywhere at this point. I think, you, you know, you would have seen it in Wyoming had Sean Chambers not gotten hurt. You know, sure. you've seen it. You would have seen it in San Jose, um, you know, had Starkle not gotten hurt. I'm pretty sure you would have seen Nash one way or another in that game. Um. So, I mean, I don't know that I can speak too much to the reasoning behind it. You know, but some of it's maybe just preparedness. I don't know. Could be. Uh, but let's look at UNLV. Let's talk about that. Max
1: Gilliam had a pretty big day. He threw, His passing game wasn't ideal. Two, two picks. But hmm. he rushed for 139, and they had a lot of design runs for 16 carries. Now, I get it one was 71 yards, but they kept going after it, trying to chip away, and they kind of did. I'm wondering if that's something they want to go forward, but you have Charles Williams back there, but he wasn't clearly effective either. Like, he had one big play at 27, he ended up at 89 in the TD. Like, they rushed a lot, but they didn't get really, like, big for their buck. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what's, like, going back to quarterback. Like, they struggled on quarterback, which is obviously positive, right? They don't switch around. Yes. You don't want to see that. But, like, the running game overall, I guess is better than I thought. They went 5.3. I was looking at the wrong numbers there. But, like, I'm wondering if, like, if if they saw something in Fresno State's defense is this is a is this an issue with Fresno State because we saw Fresno Hawaii, we saw what Colorado State wanted to do and then we see this is the second quarterback where Fresno was allowed a hundred yards against on the ground mm-hmm.
0: is that like a concern going forward it might be I mean this this is the kind of thing that I was referring to when we talked when we kind of did the the refresher mm-hmm. uh, predictions podcast a few weeks back about you know the, can the defense do enough to keep the offense from being held back. And I think that's kind of what you've seen a mix of in these first two or three games. Because, you know, again, I think when you look on a, on a per play basis, I'm trying to see what, how the two teams stacked up. I'm having trouble finding that number. You know, they, they had, I think just under seven yards per play. The Bulldogs did, but they also gave up a little over five yards per play. And, you know, they did have disruption. You know, they, they racked up tackles for a loss. They had those sacks that I mentioned earlier. So you're seeing a little bit of the good and the bad when it comes to this Bulldogs defense. But I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on because, you know, UNLV is not necessarily the most prolific offense, but they got away with it. And so sure. I think, you know, teams in, ahead on the schedule, you know, like if, if Starkle is back next week for, for San Jose State, I think you can expect to see that in a couple of weeks when they have that rivalry game. You know, to come out with either him or with Nash to be able to do that kind of thing, um, but it's those kinds of you know explosive plays, those kinds of hindrances, that you know, depending on how well they resolve them in the weeks to come, is going to make or break their ceiling.
1: Okay, no, I get it. I hear you. So, as we've been doing, I guess we're the th- quarter away almost. How many games we got? Seven games. So it's worth the third away point. Yeah. You is. Let me ask you two questions. Is UNLV going to get a victory this year? Do they play Utah State? I'm not looking at the schedule quite yet. I don't have that in front of me. They do not, apparently. So they go you, to San Jose say, State, to CSU. I do, it, say. I do
0: feel better about their chances of possibly stealing a win at some point than I would have you know, if, if we would talked about mm-hmm. this two weeks ago.
1: I agree. I'm in that same category. Who is it? See, they go to San Jose State. Probably not. Probably not. They go to Colorado State? Maybe? Yeah.
0: That I mean, might... if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Rebels fan, I'm penciling in the the, the home game against Wyoming or Ooh. on the road at Hawaii to end the year. Really? Home versus Wyoming, you give them a shot? Yeah, why not?
1: Well, they always got a shot, but I, not me. I I think their best, best win could be at CSU, but I'm not confident in that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to the final game of the day, the late night game. Fire, chippy, feisty, points, missed miss tackles. <laughs> Kermit the Frog cardboard cutout I saw during the one point during the break.
0: I must have missed that.
1: It was during – I don't remember when I was – because I tried to watch it on my Roku TV. I couldn't get it to work because mm. I was watching my phone. But I did see a Kermit the Frog cardboard cutout. All right. So 39-33, Hawaii versus New Mexico. Does Jared Smart just fly? Does he float? What is he doing that two-point conversion? How does what did they put in the
0: water out there on I, the island? He
1: was like a good it's – like, it's like a hell Mary jump ball in the corner where he like was el- – his elbows were at everybody's helmets. Like, and he just came up and whoo, caught the ball, got the one foot bounce, and basically sealed the game. But like that was a weird play. He's only, I say only six feet tall, so he's not like a giant four receiver. But that was a – there were a lot of eye-popping plays. Now it's probably – the play preceding it was amazing play, the zigzagging touchdown run mm-hmm. down the field where New Mexico couldn't wrap up. Like, oh, that's an amazing play. Two seconds later, look at this. There's seven guys, and Jared Smart comes out comes on top of it where nobody within <laughs> yeah. like six inches or eight inches or 12 inches of him. But this is an exciting game. New Mexico, you're up 17-7, to guys. Keep it going. What happened? Why? This is a fun game to watch. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good plays in this game, like, Mexico comes up, touchdown, field goal, capitalizes off a of Cheyvon Cordier touchdown. They're up 17-7. They're up 20-7 at some point. But then why? Well, or not Wyoming well, I mean, cheese. I don't know why I keep saying Wallaman I 10, but why? slowly chips away. Defense forces a couple punts. They get the touchdown. The big turn for me was they forced a punt at the end of the first half. Then they score right away. They scored three straight touchdowns to go up 28-20. That kind of It felt like at that point the game was. In hand for Hawaii, but New Mexico was kind of playing catch-up and just couldn't quite get there. Yeah. So what do you yeah, mean? I mean, the, the Lobos were pretty feisty in this game. Yeah, Tamaki Toyote looked pretty good. They had – can we not forget – we, we have not mentioned Nathaniel Jones yet, Matt, who had that pretty sweet 41-yard run,
0: 96 yards of touchdown. Did like, you know that he was a high school teammate of DJ Uyagalele? I heard that a couple times last night, yeah. Yeah, because they mentioned that on Twitter, I was like, I did not know that. Did he, uh, that's but nice. I could, but I could see why New Mexico likes him now. Thirteen, yeah, like you said, thirteen carries, ninety six yards, and a score. They had explosive plays. New Mexico had at least mm-hmm. three.
1: What? Let me see. Okay, I'll count these nineteen yard plays because it's close enough. But three, four, five, at least seven plays of nineteen yards or more. Mm-hmm. Like this team moving the ball down the field, like Hawaii. Okay, they're fine. They're like an amazing team. Like the offense looked more like what it was last year than last week. Because Cordero, four ten four 10 4 TDs, the two picks. But New Mexico was right there. Like Despite all the yards given up, New Mexico's rush defense was really on point. Like Miles Reed only ran 27 yards and most of that came on one play. They, New Mexico didn't really get to the backfield, only three TFLs. But they were not allowing big plays for Juan in the ground game. Because we we felt with Todd Graham, they'd want to be a bit more balanced running the ball. We knew Cordero would run a, run a bit, but... They need to have he can't be the leading rusher. It's two or three games where he's leading rusher. It just happened mm. he threw for over four hundred yards tonight. Yeah. Last night.
0: Well, and, and to me that makes sense because I think that's gonna be the big question for the Lobos defense kind of until further notice. You know, because we saw it, you know, last week with, with Nick Starkle, we saw it this week Cordillero. Mm-hmm. So I think you're gonna keep seeing it until the Lobos prove they can stop the pass. I really don't see why anybody would do anything else.
1: That's true. No, that, that's I a But I think, point. but I
0: think another thing that really kind of pivoted this game around, which is you can't really point to any one thing on the stat sheet, but the fact that New Mexico had to settle for five field goal attempts mm-hmm. is a massive difference in this game. And it's to George Steinkamp's credit that he that he converted on four of them, and, and three of those were from beyond forty yards. But you know, you you look at that and you see, you know, yeah, they were putting together some scoring drives, but they only got into the red zone twice. In this game and you know that, that I think is a credit to the Hawaii defense where they were able to you know be able to keep the the Lobos at arm's length in and, and what I look at when I think about that is the fact that the Lobos were only 5 of 15 on third downs in and, and granted the Warriors weren't much better they were only 5 of 13 but mm-hmm. you know if they if they could get at least a little bit better performance you know that you know, a third down at the at the thirty yard line is you know one of those things where you know if they make it, they keep the chains moving. They could potentially go for six or seven rather than three. And in a game that ended up being as close as it was, that's the kind of you know defense that I'm trying to remember who came up with the term. It's like it's not the red zone; it's like the maroon zone, the uh, the the section of the field between the twenty and the forty. Never heard of it, but okay, continue. I forget who came up with it. <laughs> um, I mean, to me, that's where Hawaii won the game yesterday.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It's like, New it Mexico needs to do a little bit more passing, a touch more, I think, just because Toyote did okay, but, well, they see whatever it needs to be. It does not need to be passing. It could be rushing, but they see, you're right, a little bit more efficiency on the situation where they get close, they just got stopped. Like, had they gotten two of those possessions inside the right gotten closer, like, if you kick five field goals, you make four. Imagine if they score two touchdowns. This is a they run away with this game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They get... Well, and, and
0: to to your point, you know, especially when it, you know both teams weren't shy about throwing on third downs. Um, but you know, one of those real subtle stats: Hawaii was six of eight through the air on third downs, um, and, and converted three different opportunities. Mexico was only three of ten for nineteen yards, and they only had one first down through the air.
1: There you go. That's why I say got to get a little bit better passing.
0: Yeah, and also head coach Danny Gonzalez,
1: he's feisty, not happy, and doesn't care they, they were close.
0: Doesn't I don't blame them. No, I mean they, they've been competitive for two straight weeks, which I think comes as a pleasant surprise. And yeah. so I think you know if if you're a Lobos fan, you can be. I, I mean, it's understandable that you would feel a little miffed that this one got away from you.
1: Yeah, he's like, right here, he's like, yeah, we tried hard. Basically, says that's a loser's mentality, so he's not holding back for anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, here's the thing, too. Like, they, they're they – I think it's fair to say their offense is ahead of their defense, but they have two really good defensive coaches on staff to get that fixed within a year or two. Yeah. With Danny Gonzalez, like I said, there's, there's going to be ball.
0: some growing pains.
1: Yeah, but I think New Mexico has – while they have not won a game, they have outpaced my expectations so far already. Mm-hmm. Because San Jose State, whatever, but like they, they were it was still pretty close. It's just they can't finish the game. That's the problem right now. They're competitive throughout most of the game, but then there's when they're not great teams, which are not a good team, there's a point in the game where they slow down, step back, and they can't get stuff done. Like they play Nevada next week, they're not going to beat Nevada. I don't think it's going to be close versus Nevada. But when they go to Air Force, yeah. Utah State, yeah. Wyoming, if Wyoming offense can't score points, I'd put them in the conversation of potential. And UNLV is close to Fresno State, Matt, and I'd say New Mexico and UNLV are sort of close. New Mexico are a touch higher, so that game's not out of the question either. Like mm-hmm. they, they're not going to win all those games, but I can see them winning at least two games this year. Yeah, two out of uh, six or seven, whatever they're playing. I don't know. I don't know who's playing how many games yet. Maybe we need to update that, but that's where I'm at here today. Anything else to add? We've gone ninety minutes. Say we've had a long show tonight.
0: I think we're pretty much all set.
1: All right, so check us out, MWR.com. Anywhere you find our podcast, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, check out – we'll have coaching updates for Utah State. We'll have uh, more previews. we got next week we have our power rankings. Everything about the sports coming at of Football. Basketball too in a couple weeks. So stay on the t- stay out for that because, Matt, at the moment, we have like no official out, So it's going to be a lot of uh, hurry up and wait for college basketball, I think it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of those type of things. I saw – I think it was D1 Docket who does good stuff on Twitter – they tweet. They follow all this stuff. I think they some school from some small league release or schedule. I think they mentioned it was like maybe the thirtieth full schedule release, and there's three hundred and forty plus college basketball teams in Division One, so mm-hmm. it's for everybody. But check everything out we got got going on, and we'll be back next time in a couple of days to a preview the next set of games, folks.